0: Hey, everyone, this is Tony and welcome to another episode of the OCPHA podcast, where we talk to our local pharmacy professionals about their journeys into their specialized fields. Today, we'll be speaking with our special guest, Dr. Sarah McBain, on what her role is in the pharmacy world. So, you know, thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast, Sarah. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Tony. Um, Thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, just for our listeners to kind of get like a quick summary of you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: So I have been in the pharmacy profession for a few years. I actually started out in North Carolina. That's where I went to school and did my first residency. Unlike many pharmacists that I run into, I actually was always very directed towards ambulatory care. I got turned on to Amcare Pharmacy when I was an undergrad. So I started pharmacy school sort of thinking this is what I wanted to go into. And after I graduated from U.S. Chapel Hill. I pursued a specialty residency in family medicine. That actually uh, positioned me to take my first practice position, which was at an academic medical center in North Carolina, where I practiced collaboratively with physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs to help. We didn't call it CMM, but it was comprehensive medication management for a a variety of patients for a variety of different uh, conditions, diabetes, anticoagulation, that sort of thing. Did that for a few years, started looking around a little bit, thinking that I wanted to maybe shake things up a little bit. And then I saw a physician listing in California and thought, hey, I'll go check this out. And that's what got me to the West Coast.
0: Yeah, so I was wondering, like, for your residency program, like, what kind of aspects of it uh, was able to prepare you for that ambulatory care direction that you went through?
1: So my residency, and this was before all residencies went through the match and I actually did not go through the match at that point. But the residency called itself a specialty residency in family medicine. So the residency actually was in a family medicine clinic um, in an academic medical center in eastern North Carolina. And there I spent time, of course, with my uh, pharmacist faculty preceptors and also with physicians, with medical residents. We had students, we had nursing students, all those types of things. So the residency itself positioned me to be an ambulatory care practitioner under the supervision as all residents would be practicing pharmacists. And we had our own little pharmacotherapy office where we saw our patients. We saw patients for a variety of things, we did see a lot of patients taking warfarin because, again, this was several years ago and we didn't have the DOACs at that point. So that was a large part of our practice. But we also saw diabetes, asthma, hypertension and one of my, or the residency faculty pharmacists actually did some pain management. She did not have her own DEA license, although she talked about getting it, but she worked a lot with the physicians to help patients really tailor and improve their pain management regimens.
0: Oh, that's that's really cool. So did you get to do something that was more specialized like that, or did you kind of do just more of the, the general um, like CMM?
1: I did more of the general CMM, um, and again, as I mentioned, we did a lot of anticoagulation management, so I got really good at doing uh, finger sticks for INR monitoring. Did a lot of diabetes, some asthma, some tobacco cessation. Uh, tobacco use is far more prevalent in North Carolina, particularly eastern North Carolina, because it's tobacco countries where tobacco is grown, so I did a lot of tobacco cessation. And my residency preceptor did mentor me with one or two pain management patients, but I didn't have quite the cohort of pain management patients that she had. But it was a really good learning experience, and it really opened my eyes to sort of the breadth of things that pharmacists can do. And it one of the things that that residency gave me, which may not be all that common, was it really engendered this attitude and expectation that, pharmacists were supposed to be in these types of clinics. So I was always looking for a position like that where, you know, I would go into a multi-practitioner clinic and add comprehensive medication management to the cohort of services that were already there. And that's, that's how I got into my first practice position. I would add on to that, when I moved to California, it was to actually start those types of services in a clinic where there really hadn't been pharmacists practicing previously. And in that clinic, I got some experience in sort of bringing physicians onto you know, bringing them onto my side so that they would really see the value of having pharmacists in their clinic, which kind of surprised me. We always think about California as being the home of clinical pharmacy. And when I moved here, I was really expecting great things. And then it wasn't quite what I was expecting. You know, inpatient clinical practice was really doing great things. But in the outpatient ambulatory care setting, there was a lot of progress to be made. So I got an opportunity to develop and grow a practice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, what you're saying is is pretty accurate with what I've seen in California, too. Like, I always see that there's a lot of progressive movement in the hospital space, in the uh, health organization space, and it's lesser known on the managed, sorry, not the managed care, on the ambulatory care side. I think in recent years, I've been seeing it more prevalent, which is really great. So, uh, just a a reminder, like when did you, when did you come to California again?
1: I moved to California in 2010. Um, I am initially started out in San Diego and I was there for several years and moved to LA for a few years and then now I'm in Orange County and, when i was in san diego as i mentioned this particular clinic it was you know within a, a teaching center so they ha- they were accustomed to the concept of teaching they were you know accustomed to the concept of medical homes but they just had never really had the I guess the incentive to in- incorporate a clinical pharmacist into their practice. So it took some time and it took some, maybe some salesmanship and some convincing. But by the time I moved on to my next position, the clinical pharmacist services were expected. So, you know, someone else is in that clinic now providing services because it, again, that's just part of what the clinic considered part of their offerings and what they do.
0: Oh, okay. So when you were there, did you, well, I guess, what was your exact role in terms of getting that um, program started?
1: Well, my specific role was just being the pharmacist on the ground and offering the services. To describe some of the things that I did to get the services started, because if you're looking at a clinic, and it's particularly if the clinic with several different physicians, you'll commonly find that there are at least a few physicians who you might term as early adopters. So these are individuals that are on your side and interested in having the service there. They, they see the benefit. They don't really require a lot of convincing. So it's really gratifying to approach those individuals first because it's an easy sell and it's an easy win. So once you've found, you know, your, your support group, then you start moving on to maybe the physicians who are sort of the neutral territory. You know, they don't care if you're there or not because they just don't, it's not, it's not taking anything away from them. You're not a threat. Then you can bring them on board. And then lastly, you move on to the physicians who are a little bit more resistant. And I have a great story that I will share for one of the most resistant physicians in this particular clinic. And this particular physician was resistant. Not in the sense that he was opposed to pharmacists or opposed to clinical pharmacy services. He just really um, was really held on to the idea that a patient care was the responsibility of the primary care physician, and that was what was in his head. That was the way that he saw things should be. And in addition, he was kind of a I you knew a, a gruff older guy, which. Just I I can't talk about the story just without imagining that. However, um, I kept working on him and kept kept you know collaborating and really trying to you know I would look I would review his schedule and look at his patients' charts and make some suggestions. And occasionally I would ask him, you know, can I go in and meet with your patient before you and just, you know, go over their medications and review them. And after a while, I he saw the value in different recommendations that I would make. He said, Oh, that's a really good idea. And then also came to realize that I cared as much about his patient's health and outcomes as he did. And. You know, after some time, actually by the time I moved on, this particular physician became one of the greatest advocates of clinical pharmacy services.
0: Oh, wow. that That's really cool because it's, it's always like a challenge that I think um, a lot of the people in the field face is like, how do we get our services to be um, viewed as valuable? Uh, because it's very hard to like kind of show that initially. So it's really cool to hear that, you know, you were able to do that like over time and you know, patience, right? <laughs> There's a lot of patience involved. In
1: right. That. Right. And I think it's important to remember that, number one, it does take time. You're going to hear some no's and some rebuttals and a lot of those, you know, adversities in the beginning. But if you stick with it and you're willing to start with something smaller, I mean, I was starting with medication review with this particular physician's patient, which is fairly low stakes. And I didn't even make any changes to the medication list without letting this particular physician know until I had built the relationship and developed the trust. And then at that point, I don't want to say I could do whatever I want, but at that point, then he was comfortable with my particular with my services and with my style and I could make much more impactful interventions with his patients.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So then after that, you moved on to uh, where, where did you move on to after that? After uh, San Diego?
1: So after San Diego, I moved to L.A. And one of the things that we haven't really touched on is I've always been in pharmacy academia as well. So I've been doing all of these clinical things. Um, At the same time, I've been a faculty member with the School of Pharmacy. So I've been doing both classroom as well as experiential teaching. And I've always incorporated students into my practice as well. One of the things that I always like to tell other pharmacists is, If you love what you do, you really should try to find a way to take students. And as a preceptor, if you structure your day correctly, the students will actually add to what you're doing. Um, Just to, to put it really bluntly, I think if you're doing it right, Students will make your life easier and not more difficult. Um, that's actually something that I learned from this particular physician I was describing because he would precept uh, medical students. And at the beginning, I was really reluctant to you know give students the leeway to do things. I would have them watch me provide care to patients. And he told me, he said, I found if you set the bar high, the students will rise to it. And I tried it and he was correct. So after that, um, I took a little bit more of a sink or swim model with uh, with having students in patient care. I just said, OK, go talk to the patients. Tell me what you think. But to come back to your question. So after that, I moved to an administrative position as a department chair with a small private school of pharmacy in Los Angeles. I was a little bit less involved in direct patient care in that position because of the significant administrative load, but I was actually facilitating many faculty at the School of Pharmacy to set up their own clinical practices, both inpatient as well as outpatient. So there were several pharmacists who were pharmacist faculty members who established internal medicine practices, psychiatric pharmacy practices, and also ambulatory care practices practices within uh, FQHCs or federally qualified health centers.
0: So then in your role there, um, did you have a lot of like, I guess for the coursework, were you involved with that at all?
1: For the teaching, yes. I taught in several different classes. My first semester there, I actually co-coordinated a course with the school dean, and we covered a lot of topics. It was a capstone course for the third year before they went on rotation. So we covered a lot of professionalism topics. We covered some physical assessment. We revisited topics like journal club, um, immunizations, et cetera. And then as time went on, I focused my teaching a little bit more specifically and focused on the women's health content of the curriculum, which is a particular interest area of mine.
0: I see. I see. So um, I guess like since you've been in academia like this whole time while doing all the, the aspects of the ambulatory care side, I guess one of my questions, too, is that how did you kind of find yourself uh, going towards that route of academia? Like, was there any kind of a... Uh, motivating factor? Was there some kind of like aha moment that got you wanting to go into the uh, academia side?
1: I don't know that there was an aha moment. Um, My first clinical position when I was in North Carolina was an academic position. It's what's sometimes called, referred to as practice faculty. And this is when schools hire faculty members to have a practice site for the the sheer purpose of having a place to send their students to do rotations. So that's the type of position that I was hired in. I didn't know that at the time that that's what this type of position was. I just thought that I was like, oh, you know, it's a clinical practice. That sounds exactly like what I want to do. And then, okay, yeah, I'll take students. No problem. Um, My first year, I actually wound up with, I think, 22 students on rotation um Throughout the course of the year. And knowing what I know now, that is an insane number for someone during their first year, but I didn't know any better. So I just did it. And that's really how I've developed it. And as I, you know, I guess grew into the position, I realized that I really loved teaching. And I think part of it is because I loved what I did as a pharmacist and to share that with someone else and watch them become excited about it was phenomenal because I had would have many students come and say, oh, I had no idea pharmacists can do things like this. You know, I want to be an ambulatory care pharmacist. And to see that was just very, very gratifying. And for those who are listening, you know, you, You'll find that or if you're if you're precepting students, you may occasionally have a student who doesn't love whatever it is that you do. And I did have students who who told me that they just were not really into ambulatory care. And I said, you know what, that's fine. I know everyone's not going to love this, but you need to fake it for a few weeks and convince me that you do. And And after that, you can go on and do what you love. So. And that is, I did tell a few students that, you know, it's, it's okay if you don't like this, but you need to just fake it for a few weeks. And you can, anybody can fake loving something for a few weeks. It's not that long.
0: Yeah. So, so going off into, uh, you know, like the academia side, uh, I guess, can you kind of let the listeners know about like what you're doing uh, nowadays and then, you know, what's your day to day like?
1: Sure. So right now I'm, I've continued in the administrative role. In pharmacy academia, I am an associate dean of pharmacy education for UC Irvine. UC Irvine will have a school of pharmacy um, very, very soon. We will plan to have our first cohort of students starting in fall of 2021. In overseeing pharmacy education, I am responsible for all components of what the pharmacy students will learn. So that includes both the didactic courses, so the curriculum and what's taught in the classroom, as well as what's going on on the rotation site. There will be others who will also um, collaborate with me and help oversee what's going on in the experiential part of the curriculum, which is the rotation. But it all comes back to me. Um, some of the things that I work on in doing this are interprofessional education. So I'm going to meetings with the School of Medicine, School of Nursing, and we are developing plans and pathways for our students to have some courses together, to do outreaches together, to work together in their experiential rotations. There's a lot of different things that are involved in this. The curriculum has been developed, and I'm also going to work very closely with the faculty as they build out courses so that we can be sure that the curriculum is nimble and forward-thinking so that the graduates from our School of Pharmacy will truly be the pharmacists of the future positioned to practice in Any venue that they can think of and probably even create their own practice settings.
0: That's a really good way of thinking about it. I think like one of the challenges that we have been seeing is the number of people who are graduating and it's tough to find a job, but then that's the existing type of jobs out there. So the idea of, you know, um, finding these unique roles or forging their own path, I think that's a really good point in having them be aware that that's a possibility.
1: I think that's critical and you know, the other thing to keep in mind, um, you know, we're recording this during, you know, the spring of 2020, which is part is during the coronavirus pandemic. And one of the potential silver linings that may come out of this scenario is increased opportunities for pharmacists because pharmacists are essential employees. Pharmacists are frontline Workers who are providing you know, direct patient care, pharmacists are going to have a phenomenal role in both testing for the presence of the virus as well as potentially providing treatments and immunization. So I think that we're going to see an uptick in demand for traditional, you know, community and institutional practice roles. And also again, for those creative thinkers, we're going to see new opportunities come out for pharmacists as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I just also wanted to talk about um, your, your high involvement in pharmacy, which uh, goes back to your uh, your involvement in CPHA. So can you kind of just, if the listeners don't already know, can you um, just let them know a little bit about your history of CPHA?
1: Sure. And as you probably gather with most things, I have a story to tell about that as well. So when I moved to California in 2010, I moved by myself. Uh, my husband moved several months after me because he was finishing a fellowship and, you know, finding the right position for him as well. So when I moved, I started looking for, I, like to say I was looking for my people. So I thought, well, surely there are pharmacy organizations in California. So I go online and I find pharmacy organizations and I join and start looking for local meetings and I go to local meetings and I joined both um, CPHA as well as CSHP. But if we want to, let's focus a little bit on CPHA for right now. So I joined the local, the San Diego County Pharmacists Association, started going to meetings and... I wound up going to the CPHA annual meeting, which at that point was still called Outlook. And this was in Palm Springs or Palm Desert. I think it was in Palm Springs at that point. And I go to the House of Delegates because, you know, I've been asked by the local if I'll be a delegate. I was like, sure, I'll be a delegate. I can go sit in there. And there was a policy that was being debated on pharmacists and provider status and payment for services. So, I know, again, very few people, but I'm very passionate about this topic, and I go marching up to the microphones, and I've got all these things to things on my mind that I want to say about this and why this policy is so important. And apparently, and it was probably my southern accent, apparently it got some attention from different people, and people started to ask questions about who is this person, and where did she come from, and that sort of thing. So that was one of my first things within CPHA, and then... A short time later, there became an opening for a regional delegate to the CPHA Board of Trustees. So I submitted my desire to serve and was elected as, I think it was the Region 8 delegate to the Board of Trustees. And that started my service on the CPHA Board of Trustees. So I was a regional delegate for a little while. And then I decided that I was interested in running for CPHA president. So I submitted my desire to serve for that and... Wound up being elected, which led to a three year term because as presidents, you have your, you know, president elect year, your president year, and then your immediate past president year. So that's um, a lot of my service on the CPHA board of trustees. I would also like to talk a little bit about the provider status legislation task force that CPHA had, and this was back in 2012-2013. So this was a joint task force between CPHA and CSHP, and I was the chair of this task force. The goal of this task force was to, to develop legislation that would codify pharmacists as providers within the state of California. And as most of you probably know right now, we're talking about what gets commonly referred to as SB. 493. SB 493 has lots of things in it for pharmacists. It has the very first or second sentence stated that pharmacists were providers, and that was the main thing that we were trying to get in there. But that also it expanded the scope of practice, so pharmacists can initiate and authorize any immunizations for people over the age of three. They can order laboratory tests for monitoring drug therapy. Pharmacists can provide self-administered hormonal contraception and also travel medications. SB 493 also included language on the advanced practice pharmacist licensure. and Advanced practice pharmacists can do many different things, uh, participating in the evaluation and management of patients, uh, assess their patients, and, um, and initiate referrals for the patients as well so that actually sort of preceded that actually that occurred while I was on the board of trustees but preceded my time as president of CPHA so that was some of my very um, fundamental and and informative work within the association as well
0: yeah yeah I I know that uh, so I was just finishing up pharmacy school in 2012 so I remember like when that was all happening and while you were um, serving your president uh, role so you know like as a Fairly newer grad, I guess. Uh, I want to say thank you for uh, what you've done uh, through CPHA and CSHP. Uh, it was really great that, you know, there was like that strong leadership. And especially since you have that um, passion on ambulatory care and then how pharmacists can be providers, it was nice to have that as part of the leadership to push this forward. So, you know, thank you for that.
1: Well, absolutely. Um, it was a pleasure and something that I still remain passionate about to this day because from my perspective, is why would we do anything else? This is absolutely the right thing to do. And I think it's passion and commitment, which is what helps make changes in the profession. And again, for the, for anyone listening, if there is something within the profession that you are passionate about, either positively or negatively, then find people who think the same as you Collate, collaborate, and start pushing for change because clearly it can't happen.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's that's really good that you mentioned that. I also wanted to kind of go off of that and say, you know, just ask about like, if people are curious about, you know, how they can get into fields like the ambulatory care side or, you know, even in academia, uh, what kind of additional advice do you have for them? Like, are there any suggestions you have that they, steps that they can take to kind of move towards that route?
1: Well, as with many fields like this, additional training, is incredibly helpful. Some would even say it's essential. So the residency that I did, the residency that I completed, positioned me to be ready to step into that role as an ambulatory care pharmacist. Many faculty positions do require residency training or fellowship training as well. However, I do recognize that residencies are limited and a little bit more difficult to come by. So for those if someone finding themselves in that position, you might just need to think a little bit more creatively. And I'm not the most creative person in the world, but think about ways that you might start to accrue some experience that would benefit you into this role. So perhaps there is a physician practice that you're very familiar with, that you know someone in there, so that maybe that physician would be open to having a pharmacist come in for just a few hours, maybe to help with refills or something like that. Or perhaps, you know, another pharmacist who's working in a position like that and that pharmacist would be open to a little bit of shadowing. So there's lots of ways that, that, these types of things can occur. There are also some training programs that I've seen, not so much in California but in other areas of the United States, that talk about training pharmacists to go into ambulatory care, for example, and I think it's like a two-week intensive training program where you do some coursework and then spend some time actually in the clinics with pharmacists. And for pharmacists who are interested in teaching, I will always very adamantly say that teaching is its own separate skill set. I've seen many, many pharmacists who are fabulous at whatever their area specialty is, whether it's ambulatory care, oncology infectious disease. But they're not, by definition, excellent teachers. So seek out some training in how to effectively teach, how to effectively convey information. Passion goes a long way, but so does intentionality and developing your skill set. Um, and I have gone through many, many continuing education courses on teaching. Some of my earliest time was spent actually um, working on teaching skills during my residency. I've done some teaching certificate programs, and I'm a member of a national pharmacy organization that focuses on pharmacy academia. So don't neglect the importance of that skill set as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you for, uh, you know, just uh, providing that advice. And, you know, if people had additional questions, uh, maybe about your journey, maybe about teaching, maybe about ambulatory care or even CPHA, like what's the best way that they can contact you at?
1: The best way to contact me is by email. So my professional email address is smcbane smcbane, at uci.edu. That is also available on the UC Irvine website as well, if that was a little bit difficult for anyone to understand. But email is far and away the best way to get in contact with me. Or you can also look for me on LinkedIn as well.
0: All right. So I'll be putting your contact info in the show notes. And if anyone's interested, uh, they can reach out. But to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out of your busy day to be on the show.
1: Well, of course, it was an absolute pleasure.
0: All right, if you guys like this episode, please rate us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or any of your other favorite podcasting services. And you can find out more about our organization by visiting ocpha.org, or you can follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. But until next time, OCPHA is signing off, reminding you to get determined, get inspired.